When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Canadian voice coaches we talked about before were probably involved in the show, but but Klingon sounds a bit like those noises your stomach makes when you're hungry, you know? Right, and, and this one... <laughs> is So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode four of SpotCast, the podcast about Star Trek Discovery and other things that we find interesting in the sci-fi world. My name is Timitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All right. So, actually, speaking of uh, fact-checking and misspoking and whatever, I, I was listening to the show the other day, and I, somehow I missed that I said, I was talking about the For All, For All Mankind Blu-ray set that I got, the Criterion Collection of, and that was the one where they went and took the NASA film and, and thawed it out and did the frame by frame scanning and reassemble the film that way. Um, but I had said the DVD, uh, the DVD is still a good movie, but it's not the, uh, like it, the, in the way we're talking about the, the reproduction or the uh, restoration, if you will, of the Star Trek's, the new generation, the, the next generation and the original series, um, the colors are deeper, richer and all that kind of stuff because they went back to the original source and scanned them as opposed to, you know, just taking what was on, you know, uh, theater quality film and then going to VHS and then going to or so DVD, right? But the Blu-ray, they made a better better transition. So that was just a bit of follow-up. But speaking of that, so um, for those of you who are listening to the show, Jonathan Kulin, our fact-checker, who's, you know, the uh, the expert in, in all things, you know, uh, sci-fi and convention-wise, whatever, has done a couple of uh, follow-up uh, sets of information for us, some of the things we said wrong. So on, on episode one, Fezzes are cool. So just some quick follow-ups here from Jonathan, and you can follow him at, on Twitter at, at JPKNews. But uh, yeah, so he's he mentioned that there were five original Planet of the Apes movies, not four, as Jaime said. Oh, that's a good uh, one because I I was not a hundred percent certain. Um, I was yeah. pretty certain, but uh, yeah, well, there's, there's the Planet of the Apes. There's beneath the planet or beneath the Planet of the Apes. There's a second one. There's Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle of the Planet of the Apes. I think yeah. I'm not sure about the wrong one. The last one, Jonathan can correct me on that one. But yeah, and that was the order in which I think they were they were re- uh, released. Right. So um, the Planet of the Apes TV show ran for only 14 sub episodes in 1974 but you know they must have rerun it forever Jonathan that's why I remember seeing it Battlestar Galactica which we mentioned uh, appeared premiered in 1978 between Star Wars as after Star Wars but before Star Trek surprisingly the motion picture I just remember you know sci-fi movies are really boring before like you really had to be a sci-fi nerd to watch sci-fi movies before Star Wars came out and sort of you know tilt you know with the ILM with the um, practical effects with the motion control cameras right mm-hmm. um, you know zooming in on the models right so and then the, the tv show came on afterwards and only only lasted for 10 episodes really hmm interesting i thought there was more than that um lauren green who i mentioned i think i mentioned lauren green was pride of ottawa canada was ben cartwright on bonanza in 1959 to 1973 and before starring in battle star galactica and oh yeah of course i said this wrong patrick stewart played professor charles xavier in the x-men film franchise not dr x as i said you want to read some of oh these? i missed that one i that one went completely by me i didn't even notice 
was that one? Yeah, I think I said Doctor X. Yeah, it was me. I said said Doctor X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do do you want to pick up from sixteen twenty nine there? Let's see. So uh, Patricia Quinn, who played Magenta, and Nell Campbell, um, who played Columbia in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, were guests at Fan Expo Canada twenty seventeen. A little bit of local flavor there for the Canadians. Yeah, I couldn't remember Columbia's name. That was what the issue was. Yeah, being a huge you know uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, I couldn't even remember the main character's name. Carry on. Yeah. um, Let's see here at seventeen twenty eight. A head sketch of the title character from The Savage Dragon by Image Comics co-founder Eric Larson cost $60 worth every penny, which, yeah, I remember Savage Dragon being pretty cool, and Image Comics was the hotness around that time. That was the illustration that I said Jonathan goes around with his big sketchbook and, and gets uh, people to illustrate stuff, so he had um, Eric Larson draw him a, a copy of uh, Savage Dragon. Cool, let's see here. Oh, this is related to um, to Lurch on this one, right? It's, yeah, uh, Mr. Hom. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Hom was Luxana Troy's valet in Star Trek The Next Generation. He's played by seven foot tall Dutch actor Carol Carell Strykin Strykin I don't know how that's Strykin I would say Strykin yeah Mm -hmm. I think we mentioned him but not quite we just kept calling him Lurch (laughs) anyway (laughs) Lurch and other Lurch at 1915 the guy who played Jaws in the James Bond films The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker was Richard Keel Kyle Keel who died in 2014 at age 74 oh he lived pretty long for a guy that that big normally um, folks that large tend to have a sadly a shorter lifespan Mm -hmm. yeah Jason Muse was a guest at Fan Expo 2017, but Kevin Smith did not make it this year, which is, I think I think I mentioned that he comes every year or tries to come every year as well. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery, which is, of course, what this show was supposed to be about, it was is set roughly 10 years before the events of the original series, or 10 years before the events of the original Star Trek TV show, which I think we had mentioned, right? Um, yeah, we were fuzzy on that one. It was sort of like, well, I vaguely remember, but the, uh, the premiere gives a specific date uh, right at the very beginning. Right, right. The Klingons were in Star Trek Enterprise. In fact, the Klingon is the first character you see in the pilot episode, strangely enough. Uh, of course, I made the mistake of saying that the, the protagonist is the hero in a story and the antagonist is a villain in the story. That explains why I almost failed grade 12 English. Um, <laughs> That's uh, pretty key for English lit, for sure. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So it's funny. I, I had to plead my case because my teacher was going to fail me. And I went to her and I said, you know, I'm going to go to university. Like, so if you fail me in English in, in this course, it's going to severely impair my ability to go and study in post-secondary, right? So she, I think she begrudgingly gave me 52 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't reading at the time. I, I, I didn't learn to read until I was in university, actually. Um, which is, I guess, it's a, it's a common problem, but you know, we kind of, we were able to skate through high school, you know, with certain skills and, you know, charm and that kind of stuff. And, and I managed to do that and not study English properly, which was regrettable because by the time I did learn to read in uh, university, it made quite a difference. Anyway, um, so I never did tell the story about the barb- baseball bat in barbed wire. So uh, Jonathan says everybody should tweet me and remind me about it. So so what what I was talking about was when I when I came in to Fan Expo, I came in the sort of side entrance, which I'd never been in before, because we've always just gone and bought our tickets on the day, but I had bought mine in, in advance. And so we were, I was led into the north end of the building since I had pre, pre-purchased my ticket. And they do a, a weapons check, you know, for the cosplayers, right, to mm-hmm. make sure you're not really walking through with a, an actual samurai sword or things like that. And I, and I can tell you, have, those places get pretty crowded. I don't know if you've been to the conventions, but, you know, you get these people walking over these giant costumes and you get whacked in the head. All, all kinds of things can happen, you know, poked in the eye with arrows 
and whatever. But people had actually... So Lucille is a character from The Walking Dead. So hopefully this is not a spoiler if for you if you're not watched The Walking Dead. But the character um, Negan carries a baseball bat that has wrapped around it barbed wire. And people came to the, the, the convention with actual baseball bats with actual barbed wire, wire wrapped around them. And they were confiscated and sitting on a table as, as I walked by, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my story about the, the baseball bats, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a rough yeah. one. I don't know what cosplayers normally should do in that case. I, I assume there must be like something. Buy that- the rubber bat. There's tons of, there were tons of rubber bats, of rubber Lucille's, right? Oh, really? So like, like with rubber, <laughs> yeah. um, barbed wire. Oh, rubber barbed wire. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were selling those at the, all over the convention and, and people were buying, but like, you know, it's just, it's uh, just, I think it's funny that, that they would do that. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, just got a message from John. He's just done all three. So all three episodes. So let's, let's do, let's finish this one off and then we'll go back to the, to, into the follow-up. So, um, in the, oh, so spoiler warning again, have you seen the finale of the walking dead yet? La, the last season just before, which starts up again in October. You know, I haven't, but, Pardon uh, me? it's okay for me. I don't know about other, other folks listening on okay, the show. Again, spoiler warning. If you haven't, if you haven't seen the last episodes, you maybe skip ahead a minute or two, but Sonico Martin Green's character in the walking dead, Sasha actually killed herself rather than being used, used as a pawn by Negan and his gang of friends, which, yeah. So, uh, I think I might've said she, she got, you know, killed by Negan, but it was the other way around. She, she decided to, rather than have him manipulate her, killed herself when she was locked up in the closet. So spoiler warning off. Uh, the actor who played Draco Malfoy in Harry Potter films is in fact Tom Fenton. And he's also in the last past season of The Flash, a show which I have uh, stopped watching a while ago. So do you watch uh, The Flash on TV, Hame? I never got into The Flash or Arrow okay. or um, what is it, Guardians of Tomorrow. Um, so the right. times I have seen those shows is when they've crossed over with Supergirl, which I actually do watch. And I've enjoyed those right. crossover episodes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I haven't gone back and watched the, the Flash versions of those, but yeah, I watched it for I watched the first season for a while, but then I, I kind of got bored with the story. But, but then I'm old. Um, most of the, the most recent Marvel movie that Tim actually saw was Spider Man Homecoming. He knows this. Jonathan knows this because he was sitting next to me, and it was a double bill where we went and watched Baby Driver right after that. So the weird dog in the Inhumans is in fact named Lockjaw, and he's a good boy, as Jonathan says. This one's for you, actually. Fifty thirty-two. You want to read that? Yeah, one? no, I'm 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 so interested in this one. So Lexa Doig, Toronto native, is currently mm-hmm. starring as Talia Talia Al Ghul on Arrow, which makes me feel like, oh, maybe I should go watch those episodes then, since I still have this irrational teenage crush on Alexa Doig. So, oh, so what was the reference to her? I couldn't. I don't remember that. She came maybe. out on where I first saw her was on um, Andromeda, the Kevin Sorbo space adventure. She was right, she was remember, yeah. the the AI for the ship. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then she also played a villain whose name we're going to have to fact check because I don't remember. She played a villain on Continuum. Mm. Oh, like one of one of the uh, one of the the people who were part of the bad group of people. Yeah, the the, the terrorists. I think it's fine to call them terrorists, right? Or, or freedom fighters. Was she depending. the blonde woman? Was she the blonde one or or dark haired woman on, I on Continuum? I can't remember what hair color she had. I remember it being maybe brownish, blackish. I don't remember it being blonde on that one. Like a punk cut or uh, like, like a bob she... like a bob cut. She was um yeah I what think the, the girlfriend mean. of the of the main terrorist. I don't want to give too many spoilers for Continuum, right. but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the main terrorist guy who goes with them. Um, yeah, I, I, now, you know, you know, like, like, who's the star of Continuum? What's her name? 
I have no idea. I assume she's Canadian too, so she probably comes out. No, a lot I have of no idea. Over there. No. Oh man, we gotta, we gotta look up her name. But anyway, the, the, what I was going to ask you about it. Did you know she was the green lady in the in the J.J. Abrams reboot of Star Trek? I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't recognize. Yeah, you know, I think it's. I think maybe it's actually the second version, second uh, movie, uh, second Star Trek movie where Kirk is in in, and I think uh, Uhura's. Yeah, he was he was dating her, and Uhura was her uh, her roommate. Was that that's in the, the the first movie, right? I believe that's in the first one. Yes. Yeah, and he has to hide underneath the bed. That girl is the girl, the green lady from I forget the name. Jonathan, help us out with the name of the planet. From uh, she, slave girl. She plays. Uh, they, they had a slave girl character in in the uh, the original Cage movie, right? Uh, or Cage, like the episode. Orion the, from is the planet Orion. Orion. Slave girl? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah. So she, she, I think she plays that character there. But yeah, the star of Continuum, which we should be ashamed for not remembering. Anyway, moving on. Uh, star Trek: Next Generation appeared. A premier on September 28th, 1987. That gives me a point of reference now because I'm trying to remember where the hell I was when I, I know where I was sitting. I remember where I was, where I, what room I was in when I was watching it. But so you would have been what, three, Jaime? No, I would have been six at that time. Six. And I, okay. I do okay. remember being around that age and having um, some sort of trip to, I assume it was like Toys R Us or some other toy store where we got the little die cast model of the Starship Enterprise and the nice, yeah. terrible, terrible um, action figures that uh, are nowhere near as good as the ones you see on the on the shelves today right right mm-hmm. okay cool and sean ashmore pride of richmond vc played bobby iceman drake in the x-men film series and his love interest another canadian uh who played rogue uh oscar winner anna paquin she's the pride of winnipeg manitoba there you go yeah same with randy bachman and uh neil young small world all right we'll come back to fact, check, fact checking either tonight or, or next week all right so we have some follow-up items um i posted a video that i found on uh, alicia vikander playing uh uh, Tomb Raider talking about the making of the Tomb Raider or how she became Laura Croft in the story talks about her you know wire work and her you know other people talk about her you know her workout and how she you know really got into the character and, and kind of stuff so it's kind of really action-packed you know look at some uh, of her work in as playing Laura Croft in Tomb Raider um, and, and as well we mentioned that Alicia Vikander had won Best Supporting Actress uh, Academy Award for The Danish Girl which was uh, a different movie altogether than Ex Machina, right? Definitely. I've, I've not seen that one, but that, that also has, um, I forget his name, but he was in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and he was also... Yes, that guy, yeah. He also, also for fact-checking, he was also <laughs> Stephen Hawking in whatever the name of that movie was about Stephen yeah, Hawking. Yeah, exactly. Life. Yeah, yeah. Now we have to look him up. Hang yeah, on. now I'm like, and he's almost certainly Canadian because he's been in everything. And no, like he's British. All he's, over Brit- the place. he's British. He's British. <laughs> Eddie Redman. I didn't even have to look it up. See, that's so good I am Eddie Redmayne, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, he uh, yeah, he's been in quite a few things. I'm trying to remember what's the first thing I saw him in. Uh, it wasn't the Stephen Hawking one; it was something else. Oh well, yeah, but he's quite good. So yeah, and we've been talking a bit about dark matter. We even mentioned it on the More Than Just Code podcast last week, really briefly. We're we'll about to follow up with Mark on that one. So yeah, here's a post by uh, the showrunner. I believe he's a showrunner, Joseph Mazzoli. Um, I found this on Twitter. He's posted a few things today, actually, or recently. But yeah, he's. I think it's it's. They're actually is i believe by the time this show comes out it'll be over but on the 29th which is the friday uh the fans of the show are planning and doing an event where you know they can uh, post a picture or selfie of yourself with some sort of dark matter kind of uh, reference and send it into the studio and say hey we need you to bring us back for season four uh, so there, there's a fan insurgence going on right now um but uh yeah you were talking last week about uh, how, how hopefully they don't break down the sets and all that kind of stuff right so mm-hmm. he's posted a 
story here on his blog called A Final Spin. His blog is called Joseph Mazzoli's Weblog. Um, on 26th, he basically posted a, a series of pictures of them taking apart the sets, in fact. So there you go. Yeah, that's a bummer because my, my contention in that, or my proposal in that episode was if they don't have to break down the sets, it becomes uh, less of an obstacle towards, you know, who, who can possibly bring this back, right? I think now that they have started taking apart the, the sets, I don't think the original network is going to go through the expense of bringing it back. I think now you're looking at a big player like a Netflix, like an Amazon to say, all right, we have the money and we can have a huge PR moment of like, look how we saved this fan beloved right, yeah. thing, right? Like, cause they, they've have enough money to, to fund it through their other mechanisms, uh, as opposed to the original studio who now is probably using that space for other things or, or will very shortly. So bummer, but I think that, you know, there's still, there's still hope, right? As long as, uh, uh fans keep pushing for it, I think there's still a potential for opportunity for somebody to pick it up. Just, it will be a little bit more expensive for them to do so. So that is, uh, the caveat to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and uh, so you haven't seen the last series or the last season three, right? No. Cause I've only seen like oh. one or two episodes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you still got that look forward to, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it does, does end. I think I mentioned last week, it ends on cliffhanger kind of, you know, a pivotal point where you kind of want to go, okay, what's going to happen next. And it's funny. I always think that I always imagine that when they do cliffhanger kind of scenes that, that they would go and continue to film the next, uh, bit of stuff in the series for continuity. You know what I mean? Like, so that the, you know, the, the actors are all standing in the same position, last episode ends and that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, but sometimes I guess they don't, I guess they just go back and reset it. And, you know, the art directors and the continuity directors make sure that, you know, the cigarette is burning at the right amount and the, the beer half, you know, the beer is at the right amount of liquid in the glass and that kind of stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. things that drive me nuts, by the way, when I, when I watch movies and you go back and forth and hairs out of place between different takes and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but people are quite good about that these days. All right. So, um, yeah, like one more thing here. Uh, so I mentioned Blade Runner last week. So I, you know, mentioned I'm a true Blade Runner fan. So the moment tickets went on sale, I managed to purchase a couple of tickets for myself and Jonathan, our fact checker. And we'll be going to see uh, Blade Runner on Thursday night when it opens on Friday officially, quote on air quotes here. Um, so, yeah, if by the time if you're listening to this show just now, I would I would just definitely go on online check your uh, check your theater listings um it's playing in imax in most places but i'm actually seeing it in a different thing called umx i think um because the theater that i have i'm going to go see it at doesn't have doesn't have an imax screen they have like the big it's the same sort of deal it's a, a big giant screen with you know 3d glasses and the whole bit right <laughs> um and they, do they have these they have these zones where you sit in the chairs and the chairs all kind of vibrate and stuff like that in the during the movie do they have those in the states where you are they do but i don't know where the closest one of those is i think they're branded as something like um 5d or 4d or something where it's oh, like really? oh yeah, they, call know, them, they call beyond them beyond yeah. 3d it's also got like you know uh misters and like the, the the seat rumbles through your chair and maybe the chairs move themselves a little bit right in, yeah in tune atmosphere to the atmosphere 3d is one that i've heard one name but they call them d box here right the big letter d right yeah i don't d box i i just think of that as a douche box you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the actual branding is here because I've, I've never been to one of those here and i wouldn't be surprised if much like IMAX, which is a um, a trademark, for lack of a better term. Is, yeah. Like there are other IMAX competitors that build to the same, roughly at least the same specifications. Um, I don't know if they're exactly the same, but they're very close. And there'll be other sort of like off-brand competitor IMAX things. So yeah, I like I said, we have, ultra, we have Ultramax at some of our theaters here. But okay, d- here's a little point of fact for you. Did you know that IMAX was a Canadian invention? I didn't know that. Mm-mm. I can hear you saying, here we go again, right? That one's actually <laughs> a little bit, well, you know, I, I, I take it back. I was about to say it's, it's kind of surprising, but it actually really shouldn't 
be because of how much of the film industry, both television yeah, yeah. And, and movies, yeah. has gone to Canada. Yeah. Well, I know this. Oh, I don't. I know. I don't know that for a fact. But um, Jonathan, one of Jonathan's good friends, um, growing up, uh, his father worked for IMAX uh, in Toronto or in Oakville. I guess. Let's see what it says here on the old uh, Wikipedia. I'm pretty sure it's Canadian Adventure. Well, first place it ever appeared was at our uh, Cinesphere at Ontario Place. I thought. So I'm not just making sure. Am I fact checking here? 1929 they're talking about what 1929 no way oh 70 millimeter premiered in in so what it is i don't know if you know about this but what's i, I believe what imax is is that instead of running the film through the uh through the screen through the projector horizontally it runs vertically sorry it doesn't run vertically it runs horizontally so they can use a, they use the same size film the 70 millimeter film so in, but instead of being 70 millimeter wide it's 70 millimeter tall you follow me yeah yeah i get it mm-hmm. yeah so oh it says here uh tire child of first imax film demonstrated at Expo 70 in Osaka, Japan, but its first permanent installation was Cinesphere here in Ontario Place. And they just opened up Ontario Place, reopened it uh, recently. So, oh, there was an IMAX theater uh, in operation at, at uh, Expo 67 as well. Huh. That's in uh, Montreal. Jonathan, help us out. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it says right here. IMAX is a 70 millimeter pr- uh, film format set in a cinema production standards developed in Canada in the late 1960s and early 70s by Graham, Graham Ferguson, Roman Coiter, Robert Kerr, and William C. Shaw. There you go. All right. Um, and of course, you know, the more area of the actual film you use, the better, the more high quality the, the image is. And so you can project it larger. That was the whole deal. The whole deal. Um, okay. You come here to learn about film and production, TV production, don't you? Isn't that why people listen to this podcast? You get a little bit of behind the scenes <laughs> and it, it makes sense given uh, the Canadian background and, and Canada is definitely a big player yeah. in, in the industry. Yeah. And I, I practically have bought the entire, um, I'm, one of the, I'm sure I'm one of many people who've paid for the entire uh, film industry over the years or so it seems that way anyway. So do you want to go back and do some more facts or should we jump into the main part of the show? Let's go ahead and jump into the main part of the show. I'm looking at the, the time here when the, the next thing will okay, start. Sure. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we got to get going here. All right, so yeah, so this was the week. This was the week that uh, Star Trek Discovery came out. So I, I have a first question I have before we jump in. So I'm watching it on uh, Space TV here in, in Toronto, and um, I noticed last yesterday they rebroadcasted two episodes, episode one and episode two, which took Jaime by surprise. He didn't realize we we're getting two for one deal here because uh, it's a two hour premiere. Um, but can you? So if you're streaming it on CBC, CBS, do you can you stream it anytime you want now? These two episodes or do you have to do it at certain times? Now you can. And I actually don't know if you could win, you know, uh, what was it 8 p.m. local time here in, in the Pacific uh, Pacific time. I actually don't know because I, I just went ahead and started watching the first episode and I didn't even pay attention as to whether the second episode was available then. I noticed it was available as soon as I was done with the first, but that doesn't mean it wasn't always there. So um, you can view okay. it like now um, as many times as you want. I've, I've gone back and rewatched a couple scenes just to clarify a couple things. Right. Yeah. Notes. Yeah. I, I should have done that too myself. I apologize that I didn't. But um, so you didn't have to. Did you have to? Was it like you had to wait till eight o'clock before you could stream it, or you could have watched it any time during the day? Like, like, is here we're waiting for it to be broadcast on television. And, and I think I, t- I mentioned to you on Slack that it was like I think it was twenty to it was tw- almost twenty minutes delayed, but it was delayed because of a live football broadcast. Apparently, um, so a game went into overtime that they weren't anticipating. But so do, were you able to stream it like live? 
with the rest of us or, or how about that? So I don't believe it was available. Well, actually, you know what? I take it back. I didn't even check because it would have been what? 5 PM local time. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was what your, your 8 PM Eastern is, is when it yeah, came out. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't watch live then. 830, 8.30, actually 8.30. Okay. So, yeah. so then that kind of explains things. So they, I'm speculating here. This is a fact. I'm guessing they probably made it available on CBS all access, um, as soon as it became available on the East coast, which means when I went in to go check, um, and view locally, uh, it probably was available. I just, so are you watching it on your computer or do you watch it on like a device connected to your TV? Device connected to the TV, in this case, a Roku. So I, I oh, downloaded Roku, the okay. CBS all access channel. Uh, of course I plunked down my, um, my $6 per month and, right. uh, yeah. and, and away we go. Um, so is that available on Apple TV as well as the other things or only on Roku? I'm or? pretty sure it's available on all the platforms. I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't on Apple TV and, um, Amazon fire TV, right. probably okay, also cool. on uh, the Chromecast as well from Google. Right. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the Vulcan. Hello. What did you think? Spoilers, by the way, if you haven't watched it. Yeah. Let's make that real clear that for this uh, podcast, when we're talking about Star Trek discovery, which is kind of like the main thrust of, uh, of the episodes. And, and, and as long as discovery is you know on the air, I think it'll be a, a real major thing going forward. Um, mm-hmm. it's a huge spoiler warning for the, <laughs> the rest of this episode regarding yeah, discovery exactly. at the very least. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting in that one, that this is a little bit different from your experience. So here in the United States, they broadcast on CBS, um, the broadcast channel for the first episode. And then if you wanted to watch the second episode, you had to go to CBS All Access. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. In my case, that there was no difference because I didn't watch it on TV or uh, on broadcast TV. I watched it um, via the CBS All Access channel on my Roku. I would really view this as one two-hour premiere, even though it's separated into two episodes. And yes, there is a cliffhanger at the end of the first episode. It's really the same episode, right? It's not like it's not like it uh, it would concretely fit as oh, this is just a singular episode in in just about any other circumstance. It's really part of the same story in that case. It's not like um, I don't know uh, episodic shows that uh, might have things completely bottled up. Like you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation is probably a really good example in this area where, in general, unless it was a specific two parter episode, each episode was fully contained. Right? They might talk a little bit about things that happen in other episodes, but generally not too much. Generally, things were largely reset from episode to episode. You can watch them in any order. That's not at all the case here. Like this is like if you watch this episode out of order with episode two, you won't really understand what's going on. Right. Yeah. They, I think I mentioned it's like a big, long 10 hour movie or whatever it's going to be. Right. So. Yeah. And, and I think there'll be like chapter breaks and, and so, so on and so forth and probably smaller subplots throughout the, the overall arching plot of the right, series right, and the overall yeah. arching plot of, of this season. But uh, episode one, the, uh, the Vulcan hello and episode two battle at the binary star like those are really clearly like two halves of the same two hour premiere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about the overall show in terms of like, you know, hooks and things like that from, I did hear, uh, like, uh, the, the sound, the klaxon sound that you sort of hear when the computers are thinking on, on the original series. Um, I heard some of those sounds while my room was running around on the floor, cleaning the floor, but <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm watching the new Star Trek while my room is cleaning my carpet. But anyway, um, what did you think about? the sort of tie-ins to the other series that were out there? Like, what did you notice about the show? So, so are you talking about tie-ins, like, where they hinted at things that, that are going to come up later? Yeah, in, sounds in Star Trek or Park? characters or, you know, like, uh, locations they may have mentioned and that kind of stuff, right? This is a different set of Klingons, in a sense, right? This is this is supposedly the first time they met the Klingons, I believe, right? Not quite. It's more like they, they mentioned that they hadn't they hadn't had uh, serious, con- serious contact with the Klingons in a long time. Like, they've had skirmishes of some sort, oh. and that plays into right, Michael right. Burnham 
Adam's backstory, but it's essentially been like, we don't have diplomatic relations with this um, uh, nation, for lack of a better term, this empire for, that, yeah. for the past hundred years. So, right. And that's, that plays into the first, you know, part of the, of the show where they're like, not even sure what it is they're looking at. This is, this is after Enterprise, right? Like after Star Trek Enterprise, but before yes. the original series. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get my star dates mapped out. Mapped out. <laughs> um, yeah, there was no sort of captain's log either. Very strange. But uh, so what did you think about the sort of introduction of this? I mean, we like, it, I, I do want to, I want to get into After Trek. I don't know if you watched After Trek as well. I don't know or if that's available to you. It is available. I didn't have a chance to watch it, unfortunately. Okay. So well, I, I need to catch was, up on the, the After Trek. It's kind of like, uh, it was interesting. Like, like Talking Bad for Breaking Bad or, or yeah, Talking well, Dead so, for uh, The Walking Dead. Is it that kind of show? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But definitely, uh, what's his name? Kevin or what's the name of the Chris Hardwick, right? This is the guy who hosts this show is nowhere near Chris Hardwick. He's a completely different kind of guy, like uh, almost borderline annoying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, just let's let's get back to the show. We'll talk about the after track afterwards. Well, okay. So, so for me, I, again, we mentioned spoilers. It, it's interesting in that these first two episodes are essentially like a prologue to the rest of the series. And right, that's kind yes. of a, a very different and kind of a weird place for them to start where, um, I mean, things are different in general. Like you mentioned, there's no captain's logs. Like, well, yeah, because the captain yeah. is not the main character in this show. It's the first officer, right, um, right, Michael right. Burnham. And uh, spoilers, again, for for the very tail end of this, uh, this two-parter, um, we really only meet a handful of the main characters that we're going to continue with. Uh, Michael Burnham right, okay. and yeah. the uh, the space officer, uh, Saru. I forget his designation. I think it was like Lieutenant Commander or something. Um, mm-hmm. They make it. He's the, the, the science officer? Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I guess Sarek as, as well, right? Like th- those people make it through to the next part, a handful of, of minor characters as well. But it's a little bit different in, in terms of most Star Trek pilots in that we haven't really gotten to know the crew that we're going to deal with, right? So that I think as we go through the other episodes that remain in the season, we'll actually see more of that coming together and understanding of you know who is who in the zoo for this crew. <laughs> as opposed Who's to like, you know, like Encounter at Farpoint, right? Is a perfect yeah. example. Where yeah. Like they explicitly show you every character and then meet them. Deep Space Nine, do the same thing, explicitly meet each character and see how they're going on. Voyager, same thing. In, in this case, we kind of start, you know, in the middle of things where this crew has known each other for some time and and it and it shows right in the conversations between uh saru and and the captain and the captain and uh you know michael burnham uh the captain of course played by uh michelle yo she's uh philippa Giorgio. Giorgio, i forget how they pronounce that um uh, that name hmm. captain yeah they don't say her first name here just captain Giorgio. right and so Giorgio, the Giorgio? so the basic premise that we're brought into is oh um michael burnham has been basically orphaned uh, by a klingon attack and has become a ward of Sarek. They don't really explain how or why. It's just sort of shown in, in a flashback that, hey, she you know, was studying in a Vulcan school and Sarek has sort of like a, a fatherly figure to her. Um, mm-hmm. And at some point after she's um, gotten old enough and, and dealt with their Vulcan equivalent of, of Starfleet Academy, right? They have like an expeditionary kind of sort of thing that uh, she's brought on board in what seems to be something kind of like a cultural exchange program where, oh, you know, hey, do me this favor. Um, sure would love to have my ward, uh, Michael, come on board. And it seemed like Captain Giorgio and Sarek seemed to have some sort of past before where they had some sort right, of respect. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take on this officer and and sort of you know guide them under my my wing sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. And I think that Michelle Joe's character... Um... <sighs> 
has an unfortunate experience. Let's just say it, leave it at that. Um, but I think a lot of the stories are told through flashbacks, like the very first part of it. I think, well, the first part is not a flashback, but her uh, story with, with Sarek is very much a flashback kind of story, um, except for one point where she, um, he exchanged, is it Katra they exchanged by doing the Vulcan mind meld? Um, so part of him becomes part of her. So at some point she's able to channel him and get advice from Sarek. Um, but I think that we're going to see, like Michelle Yeoh is going to, be in in like flashback stories because because our character um michael burnham is going to move on to new experiences and going forward in the episodes right uh, obviously a, like a, a, an all a huge altering uh one that's going to be in the, in the next episode which i saw a bit of a preview for in um in the uh the after trek show so um i don't know i kind of see the, it's it's it was all over the place it's what was really strange for me about star trek and i i, I probably made this huge mistake was um on the space channel for for the two days leading up to Star Trek to the Discovery, they played every single Star Trek movie, right? So they started with you know the Star Trek the movie, and they you know went through all the sort of Kirk and Spock and McCoy movies right up to Generations, where the two you know, the next generation crosses over and Kirk and Picard work together to solve a problem, mm-hmm. and then we get to you know um, uh, so Undiscovered Country. I missed this. I missed it this time. That's one of my favorite movies. Search for Spock, obviously. Um, I like Generations. I don't know where it fits into the canon of, of odd versus even um, off the top of my head. But uh, I like First Contact. That's one of my favorite movies, too. And, and again, like I think I mentioned that I had, I had missed the whole Lacutus. I mean, I'd seen Lacutus of Borg episodes of, of The Next Generation after they were broadcast, like in reruns or whatever, but I'd never saw it at the time. So when I saw First Contact, I had no frame of reference for Lacutus. All the way up to and including the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. So, so from what that did to me, though, because I had, and I was working on other things, I wasn't just watching these movies, I was working on coding and doing my other daily chores, but I had the, the movies on in the background while I'm doing that, right? What it did to me, though, is I got sort of uh, inundated with Star Trek uh, look and feel and sounds, right? So, and, you know, I also had watched the, uh, the I did watch, I, I actually watched part of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, uh, it was on another channel, too, as well, the second or third uh, movie. But so by the time I got to the new Discovery show, it didn't seem new to me. Like, I, I wasn't like, oh, this is a new, fresh retelling. It's from a visual look and feel kind of point of view. Um, it had it had the same kind of J.J. Abrams lens flare that I was joking about a couple of weeks ago. It had the same sort of dark sets that they've had in the last, you know, series of movies and, and including the J.J. Abrams one. And mind you, the J.J. Abrams uh, um, bridge is very bright and brightly lit, right? But uh, this was very dark, this this particular uh, starship that they were on. What was the name of the starship they were on? I mean, there's your quiz for the day. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but I did listen to how Michelle Yeoh pronounces it because yeah. seeing mm-hmm. as it appears to be a Chinese name, um, I right. think it's named after a historical uh, Chinese spacecraft, or something, like a real-life spacecraft, just like yeah, we were talking yeah. about Discovery in Colombia for the NASA space shuttles. Right. I yes. think it's the Senzhou or Senzhou, Shins- yeah, yeah. Or Senzhou if you want to anglicize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it means lucky ship or something like that. Or I, I read something about that actually in one of the blogs I was reading. But so so that sort of like from an aesthetic point of view, it kind of it, I, I kind of almost regret having sat through all the Star Treks because there is that sort of continuity that happens between them. Um, that said, I mean the J.J. Abrams franchise or, or reboots of Star Trek or look and feel are very different than the uh, the older movies, right? The uh, the Next Generation movies or the even the, the first batch of movies, first six movies from uh, the start 
the original series actors. Yeah, so it was kind of it's kind of like you know it just it just rolled right in. So I guess from that point of view, it was successful in that it had that same sort of uh, same sort of feeling. I, I was a familiar universe to me. Um, there wasn't really anything sort of out of the ordinary uh, for me. One thing though, I will have to say, like I, I when do they invent the universal translator? Because I, to be honest with you, I don't really enjoy having to read subtitles. I mean, I like you know French movies and where they have subtitles or you know Run Lola Run is, a, is I think a German movie, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. But and I want to watch it in the original version. But you know, like the Crouching Di- Tiger, Hidden Dragons, another example. But you know, if you have the DVD, you can listen to it with the English soundtrack rather than trying to read the subtitles, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I didn't really enjoy the Klingon stuff because again, they were sometimes the, the subtitles were a little too fast for me. You know, I had to sort of rewind to go back and see what the guys were actually saying. But that's a lot of work, you know, when I want to just be kicked back and watch, you know, some some mindless mindless quote unquote air quotes mindless sci-fi. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what did you think about having to read the subtitles as opposed to having the the actors slip into English for the sake of science? I think I, I think maybe my perspective is a little bit different because I've generally preferred to have subtitles for original language reasons. Um, even right, when I don't okay. understand what that language is, right? It might be some film in German or Japanese or you know, right, right, pick, pick yeah. your language. Um, because I feel like the dubs always they always yeah, miss they something of the flavor, right? Where right, I mean, right. I understand yeah. what that person said, but I kind of got the intent because of the inflections that they had, the pacing that they had. Um, and a lot of the dubbings can be you know, pretty good nowadays. It's not like before where they were just like comically bad. Uh, people spend a lot of time and money on it now, but it's it's never quite the same. And so, uh, granted, yeah. Klingon is not like a real Earth language. And I, I do yeah. know that there is like an actual dictionary and vocabulary and, and people can learn and study well, I'm it, but sure they were speaking bang on Klingon. I'm sure the Klingonese and this, this, and you know, like those Canadian voice coaches we talked about before were probably involved in the show. But, but Klingon sounds a bit like those noises your stomach makes when you're hungry, you know? Right. And, and this one, <laughs> it's definitely always been a guttural one, but this, this interpretation of it was, um, even more guttural. And, right, um, yeah. I kind of hesitate to use the word because it has all sorts of negative, uh, racial connotations, but it sounded more tribal rather than, um, right. Viking style, which I think the, the next generation, Klingons in particular are very sort of Viking sort of thing. They, right, they kind of right, feel yeah. like like they come from Norse mythology, whereas these folks feel like they come from some sort of um, again more tribal. It, it it could be African, it could be uh, you know Native American sort of thing. Like it definitely feels more different, right? It just feels like it has a different flavor to it than the kind of Klingon that was being spoken through the rest of Star Trek. And I think if it was dubbed, you would lose a lot of that because they spent a lot of time and effort on having the pronunciation and the pacing be a little bit different than what we've seen. And in particular for um, sort of the the head of the, the Klingon group that we see in this first couple episodes, Takuvma, his particular voice and role is very, very specific and it's different from even the other Klingons that are in his group and the other Klingons that we meet. Yeah, that's true. I, I, you know, I, I don't mean to say, to make it sound like it's it's out of character, but it's just, you know, it's, it's when I watch this in reruns three years from now, I'll want to basically not have to look up at the screen to just figure out what they're saying, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's interesting. This and it's it's very much like they, there seem to be a lot more spirituality in in this this version of Klingons than you know. Um, I you know to be honest, I was watching um, maybe it's generations. Yeah, it must be generations where they got the um, oh, I've forgotten the names. What's the, the family that's uh, that's trying to take over Kl- the Klingon Empire with the two with the two sisters? That would be the House of Duras, the Duras sisters. Uh, Duras, yeah, the Duras sisters, right? They're they and actually, I hate to say it, 
accent, uh, Jaime, but I believe one of the Dura sisters is Canadian. But um, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the the uh, if not both of them, but one of them is for sure. Uh, the uh, I've totally forgotten about that subplot where they try and you know get the the phaser codes. I think they they tap into Jordy's uh, visor, right? Mm-hmm. But I'd forgotten that whole plot. But but like again, those Klingons speak English. Worf speaks English, or or sorry, I mean, uh, granted, maybe that's the universal translator working on just sort of doing the air quotes again right so uh it's just it's just odd from that perspective but but yeah no this it did have a certain flavor to it much much more spiritual you know they were talking much more about the sort of honor system that the klingons have and almost to the point of prejudice where they you know, there's the one uh clear um i guess for lack of a better word albino uh klingon that ends up carrying the torch at the end right mm-hmm. um you know the and how the other klingons look down on him you know because they, they don't want him playing their reindeer games with them right um, yeah, that that, but, that guy uh, Voke V O Q. Yeah, he yeah. he kind of gets the double whammy in that not only does he have um, from what Takuvma describes as like you know a, a genetic defect as far as Klingons are concerned, right? right? He they're very dark skinned and he's pale white uh, kind of skin, but he also um, has no house, right? So he has no, right. no yes, honor to derive right. from his family in essence. Right. And, right. and so I think it says a lot about uh, Takuvma's character and, and Volk's character, right? Who, you know, I guess let's cover this part of the episode. So the basic premise is that Takuvma wants to light the um, uh, the, the light of Kalis. I forget what they, exactly what they call it, but it's this large structure that will send out a beacon to all Klingons. And this matches up with their mythology where their leader Kalis long ago said, hey, when I, you know, I'm, I'm going to Stovacor, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm dying, I'm going to their, their version of heaven. Uh, but when I return, uh, Look for me here, and you will see this beacon. You know this this star in the sky um, will occur, and then you'll know that that's me, and that's there. I'm there. Go follow me and find me. That's what Takuma is trying to use to his advantage, right? So, as the premise that we're given that the 24 houses of the Klingon um, Empire, such as it is, they're they're not united, so they're they're having some sort of internal strife, and he wants to bring them together using outsiders, such as the Federation, as the the foil, as the impetus the for foil, hey, yeah. um, they're a danger to our way of life. We need to band together so that we can make sure we stay who we are right and, right and that's always, what, be, remain, always cling on i think it was what the battle cry was right. right and i guess as part of this sort of like religious ceremony that takuma is interested in and they need somebody called the torch bearer to light the torch of um, of this beacon and the previous one dies uh, <laughs> due to michael burnham's decision to to not just do a flyby of this thing where the crew didn't know what it was uh, they, they were outside of a sensor range area where they could see it directly because there was some sort of interference going on and she lands on it and unfortunately she runs into a Klingon warrior uh, who attacks her uh, she fights back and the guy ends up getting killed and so they need a new torch bearer to, to take over and Volk is apparently you know for the double whammy reasons of you know his genetic uh, defect as well as his lack of a house is apparently not worthy except he shows his worthiness by saying like I'm worthy because of faith and he puts his hand right. over the fire and doesn't flinch or anything right and this seems to impress Takuma be like oh yeah yeah you're, you're totally into into this religion that i have uh therefore i welcome you and, and you are welcome as part of my uh extended family so to speak and now that you've burned your hand you can actually hold on to the torch and deliver it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah, and the second part is is when the all the I guess all the Klingons uh, arrive. That's the click the cliffhanger after the, the beacon is lit in the first episode, right? And then uh, they go on to have this huge giant uh, battle between because I think that the, the uh, Federation crew called the the rest of the uh, Federation ships to come out right through their normal channels, and the Klingons the Klingons all answer the beacon, right? Is that that's correct, right? Uh, roughly for the major beats. So I had mentioned that mm. they they had this thing they didn't know what it was. Michael Burnham goes out, has the encounter with the Klingons. On, uh, they end up retrieving her, and we see her um, with all of these terrible radiation burns because she was only supposed to be out there right. for a handful of minutes, um, and she was out there much longer. So they're they're treating her in, in sick bay, and when she comes to and she realizes she's been out for a while, she runs up to the bridge and tells him like, "Yo, it's Klingons. We need to get the heck out of here." Right? She right. wants to leave, right. um, and Captain Charjo is like, uh, "No, like we, we can't. Like um, we need to figure out what's going on here." And there are all of these other areas we need to protect in case there's some sort of danger here. Right, right, yeah. We're the only starship, so we'll call Starfleet and say, hey, go send us some backup just in case. But this is where we get into, I think, part of what makes up Michael Burnham, right? Where she clearly has this, um, you know, this very tragic past related to the Klingons, right? They they killed her family and she was was left orphaned and, and raised by, by the Vulcans. And so the Klingons, to her, seem to me to be like her white whale for, you know, Moby Dick and Captain Ahab right, yeah. um, yep. or, or her, you know, Captain Picard's interaction with the Borg, um, you know, after uh, Best of Both Worlds, you know, in uh, subsequent episodes in the series, as well as First Contact, where he just like his irrational, like sort of fear and hatred of them, given like how, uh, you know, what he went through. I feel like that same sort of template is shown here uh, with Michael Burnham and her relationship to the Klingons. Yeah. And so she's got this sort of uh, relationship with Sarak too. I want to talk about the actor James Frain for a minute, because it's, it's funny because he's... He's, he's shown up as as let me get this right antagonists in uh, a couple of shows I've watched. He's been an antagonist in um, in Goth the series Gotham and forgetting who he played in that. But and he's also he also showed up in Orphan Black for a while, right? Um, and uh, right up to the, almost the, the last episode, uh, I think he's involved in the de- the um, the exit from the show of Mrs. S. Mrs. S. Um, but I really don't I really haven't really got any warm feelings for this particular actor. I, I know he's been in a few other shows that I haven't watched, but, um, and so I was disappointed when I saw that he was going to be playing Sarek because I, you know, I already have this, this, uh, it's funny how you, you get certain actors get into a frame of your, your, your frame of mind or frame of reference for them, kind of mm-hmm. cast them in a certain light. Right. But actually, you know, by the time the two episodes are over, I, I, I'm not quite accepting him as Sarek quite yet. Uh, he's better than the guy who plays Sarek in the, in the, uh, the new series, <laughs> the new JJ Abrams series. But, uh, um, I think by the end of it, I kind of, I kind of bought that he was a good guy. You know, he was, he was there to advise Michael Burnham and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I want to ask you, so when she was running onto the, the bridge and doing all the kind of brash stuff that she does, are we on her side? Do you, like, did you get the feeling you're on her side or, and that everybody else is wrong? They should be listening to her or, or did that, or did you think the captain, uh, captain Georgiou had some valid points? I think, think about that? okay. So at this point, so for the first episode, we only get to the point where she says we need to leave and she is uh, insubordinate with the captain in, in, you know, on the bridge in right. front of the crew yeah. where yeah. the captain's like no we, we got to stay here and she's like but I'm just trying to save your lives and everybody's lives and he's like whoa 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 you, you need to chill for a little bit here right um, I think we're, we're meant to see some of that tension right we don't fully understand exactly what the situation is with her and the Klingons we don't fully understand what's going on with um, Takuvma where we don't know what, what exactly he's trying to do all we know is that uh, as far 
far as we can see, a Federation relay station was uh, a probe or something, I forget what they called it, is damaged. And that's what brought out the Senjo to investigate. And right. it appears to be very intentional, uh, which will come up more in episode two here. So far, I think we're we're kind of meant to be like, well, it could go either way. You know, we, we could understand that uh, if we were in that situation, we might want to stick around and see what's going on. And as was pointed out, we want to you know, have some sort of diplomatic relations there and potentially protect, you know, the other uh, like star bases and maybe colonies or something that they mentioned. It's later on in the other episode where things get a little crazier, where I think we're meant to sort of think like, right, hmm, yeah. I kind of wonder what the right thing to do is here. Um, the the yeah. title of this episode is called The Vulcan Hello. And at some point, one, yeah. Michael decides to call up Sarek through the um, like hologram sort of a uh, call Probably, up and yeah. have a, a heart to heart and be like, hey, the, uh, the, the Vulcan FaceTime. Yeah. 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 Vulcan FaceTime. <laughs> That's a perfect way of putting it. It's like, yay. Um, how did you all deal with, with the Klingons? And it's not revealed to us at that point, but he says, well, there's this thing we did, but I don't know if it really applies for your situation. It, it worked well for the Vulcans. Uh, don't know if it'll work for you. Um, but he tells her anyways. And Michael comes running back to the bridge, tells the captains like, look, this is what we need to do. Um, we need to fire on them. <laughs> it's like, what? What do you mean we need to fire on them? No, we, we're Starfleet. We don't fire first. It's like, well, um, when the Vulcans first had their interaction with the Klingons, um, they tried to set up diplomatic relations and that ship got destroyed. The Klingons didn't respect them. So eventually every time the, the Vulcans met with the Klingons, they would fire, the Vulcans would fire first. And it was eventually figured out that this is something that showed uh, respect for the Klingons that, hey, we're not going to let you push us around. We're going to shoot on you first. And if you want to talk, that's cool. Other Otherwise, leave us alone, right? And it's sort of like, you know, like some sort of gang fight sort of thing or, or, or like prison gangs where it's like, all right, I, I got to go beat up somebody on day one. Otherwise, people are going to look at me as being weak, right? I need to show that I can hold my own and get the respect. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's sort of what it feels like. So we move on to the other show because I know we're kind of... Yeah. I, I was kind of... I kind of blurred the lines again. I think it kind of implied that I had so much Star Trek that, you know, after watching 18 hours of Star Trek, it just, the last two hours were just a blur <laughs> in a sense, right? Anyway, but uh, yeah, so... I mean, and it's kind of, it's like one of those things like, you know, they play on, writers of stories like this kind of play on our, our, um, are different emotions in, in like, you know, when, when Lucille Ball would get into trouble or Mary Tyler Moore would get into trouble on the Dick Van Dyke show, I always feel anxious and, you know, you know, like, no, no, don't, don't do that. That's going to get you in trouble kind of thing. Right. And, uh, there was a few moments like that with this, with Michael Burnham's, um, character. Right. Um, and maybe that's part of the setup for her is that like many of the, um, characters that we see as protagonists in other, see, I'm using the right word now in, in, <laughs> in other versions of Star Trek, you know, Kirk is always sort of going off off the cuff, and um, Riker kind of does too, right? Um, Data gets himself into trouble by, you know, installing an emotion chip and things like that, right? And then not mm -hmm. being able to deal with the situations that he gets into. But so the second battle of the binary stars, what's what's the synopsis there? Basically, the everybody kind of shows up after the beacon's lit, right? And uh, mm -hmm. isn't that where it's it ends with with the Shenzhou being surrounded by a bunch of Klingon warbirds of various shapes and sizes, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, then, the Klingons have showed up, and I forget exactly where this leads into the, the second episode, but the, <laughs> the Federation shows up as well, and when they do, you know, the Klingons finally allow broadcasting to go through, right? So they before, they've not answered any hails, but now uh, they let a, a hail come through, and Captain Chorzo says, hey, you know, we noticed you're in up? our space. Um, this is Federation space, so you can Would you either, like fries with that? Yeah, it's like, you can either leave, um, because this is our space, or we can start diplomatic relations we hope it's the latter and in the meanwhile right this this is playing in front of um Takuvma's crew as well as the 
other heads of houses who have showed up for the Klingons. Um, and as a little bit of backstory, they've had a little bit of back and forth where there are clearly different opinions within the Klingon houses where uh, one particular house is very dismissive of Takuma. It's like, who the heck are you? You're not on this council. You're, you're nobody. Who, who are you to call us here with uh, uh, this like beacon that represents Kalos? And there's another one that says, wait, hold on. I want to see what he has to say. You know, we're we're going to listen. And a couple others sure, yeah. want to pay attention to listen. And this gives Takuma an opportunity to say, hey, you know, there are people who are coming, you know, echoing what he had said at the beginning of the first episode to his own people. It's like, hey, there are people who are coming. They're, you know, a danger to our way of life. We need to unify together as a Klingon empire and protect ourselves. And at the same time here, Captain Jojo is saying like, oh, you know, yada, 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 leave our space or let's set up diplomatic relations. And Takuma says, okay, here it comes. Here's that that phrase that I said before, how they will announce themselves as a danger to us. And she says, we come in peace. And he's like, aha, see, this is exactly what I said they were going to do. They were going to say, we come in peace. They're liars. They're a danger to our way of life. And this convinces the, you know, at least some of the Klingons and a battle starts, right? The Klingons fire first. See, that's funny. I, I, just to interject here is I, I, that's again, with, with the reading of the, the texts um, in the subtitles, I missed that. I wondered why he had said, we come in peace at the very end of his little speech there. But he was saying that, that this is the, the trickery that the Federation uses. Is that what he was saying? Well, I believe he's talking about the Federation in particular in that beginning speech for the very first episode where he's right. talking about, you know, uh, the Klingon way of life and, and the dangers that, that face it. And he's speaking in Klingon and it is subtitled for the, the episode. Mm -hmm. But then he says, you know, they will say, and then he switches to English, we come in peace in his very sort of um, right, preacher, right. Uh, guttural sort of sound that he has to him. And that does happen in the second episode where Jojo says, uh, we come in peace. And that maps up, like, like that was perfect, right? Like Takuma has played it perfectly here to bait the Federation into seeing what the heck happened to their um, their probe relay station sort of thing. They've called in reinforcements. So there's, you know, enough, you know, on their side to do battle. And then the Klingons have come. So Takuma's like played everybody in this sort of thing rather well. Like this is set up for what he wanted. He wants battle with the Federation, right? Yeah. And he got it. Yeah. And they have a, a pretty cool fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's kind of set up. Uh, I guess we should backtrack slightly in that the uh, the Admiral has, has, has arrived, uh, the one that Captain Chargeau has been um, conversing with uh, through the, the Vulcan FaceTime <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the um, the Federation Admiral says, like, hey, like, uh, we want to have some relations with you, you know, to diplomatic relations with you. And Tukubma says, all right, you know, I'll await my envoy. And everything goes wrong. Like, they decloak a ship that is, like, one of those, like, ice-breaking kind of ships is what it looked like to me. Like, they would send out right, into yeah. the Arctic to, like, it's got this heavy bow that just, you know, crushes ice. In this right, case, this right, one, like, yeah. starts crushing and, and, and bifurcating the, the Admiral's ship. And the Admiral ship has, like, no choice but to self-destruct to try to take it out. Right, yeah. And so, yeah. so everything is just going completely wrong here. The Federation are fighting. The, the Senjo is, like, losing, um, you know, its part. It's, like, losing power. It's losing engines. It's losing weapons. And so they're, they're like, totally hosed in this situation. Um, and I guess that leads on to they're, like, stuck. Is like, what the hell are we going to do? And they end up deciding, like, well, 
if we can capture Takuma, he will like lose his place as um, you know somebody that you know can lead these people. And and it's very pointedly pointed out like we can't kill him because if we kill him, he becomes a martyr, and they can fight forever for that martyr. Whereas if we oh, capture right, him, yeah. we can dishonor him and show what a loser he is, and maybe they shouldn't follow him. So they devise this this trick because um, in this particular incarnation, and and maybe even particular to Takuma's particular group, um, they treat the bodies of their dead very differently. Where Takuma's ship is covered in coffins of all of the the dead Klingons right, that they've yeah, had through yeah. their like generational ships, so they're like ornamentations. In fact, yeah, yeah. And after you know some battle, you know there's there's some dead, and the Klingons are starting to pull in you know like tractor beams or something. They're recovering their their dead's uh, right, bodies, yes, and yes. they want to put them yeah. in coffins. And the Sinjo folks decide like, well, what if we were to use the transporter to put um, a torpedo warhead like really close to one of the bodies? So like when the tractor beam pulls it in, it will pull in the torpedo as well. And they do that to blow up part of uh, Takuva's ship where it like blows up the neck to separate the bridge section in the head from right, the rest yeah, of the body. Yeah. And they use that as the excuse to like, all right, now we're going to beam over and try to capture him. So there is a little bit of a, uh, an action sequence that is more, you know, hand-to-hand fighting and a little bit of, of phaser battling. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess at this point, <laughs> it's worth pointing out that I kind of foresaw something like this happening um, because it felt like there was spoilers from the uh, the title sequence where it's like, oh, special guest star, Michelle Yeoh. I was like, oh no. Oh, right. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh no. I thought coming into this, considering how much she's been front and center in all of the uh, promotional material and everything. Oh, I thought, well, it's kind of weird that, you know, there's two captains and, and it's two different ships. Well, maybe something happens between Michael and and right. uh, Captain George Joe. And, and, and yes, we, we kind of skipped over the fact that uh, she got Vulcan nerve pinched and, and there was a, a, an attempted mutiny by Michael to try to, um, right. to shoot on the, the Klingons. I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe that means um, she's only going to be a recurring sort of guest star that sometimes when the Senjo and, and the Discovery come together, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll mm-hmm. see each other. And now they've had this broken relationship where, uh, you know, I can't trust you anymore. You tried to take over my ship and you physically assaulted me. Um, right. But no, <laughs> it, it turns out she dies uh, while attempting to to battle uh, Takuvma. And in retaliation yeah. and, and in irrational anger, uh, rather than stunning Takuvma, uh, Michael Burnham switches her phaser to kill and blows a hole right through him um, and ultimately ends up escaping as they, they transport her back, but sadly not Captain Giorgio's uh, body. And everything has just gone terribly. And I think it's around here that we have the time skip to show um, that uh, there's been a court martial and Michael Burnham has pled guilty to all charges um, and was given some sort of like life sentence, I think they said, right, uh, yeah, yeah. in prison. So the and, show's over, we can all go home now, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, well, there goes the main character. She's stuck on a penal colony somewhere for the rest of her life. Exactly, yeah. You know, exactly. uh, hammering out license plates for the, put on the Starship Enterprise and, and every other sure. uh, Starship, uh, Starfleet ship. Yeah, yeah. to kick somebody in, in the knee to escape. Um, yeah, so th- that was kind of a, kind of odd, like, you know, because you, you think that, you know, when you're charged with something, and, and it, I mean, she has no proof. She can't go back and get Michelle Yeoh's character because she's, you know, because they beamed her off which, as she was going to retrieve the body, right? It was what she was doing. What she was trying to administer some sort of first aid, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they beamed her back and threw her in jail. She spends a lot of time in, in jail in this in the second episode, right? Um, but, you know, just, just a minor point of, point of inquiry here. I, I, I get that you know, when she had the radiation poisoning from when she was out in, out in episode one too long and they took her to, to sick bay and they fixed her up and whatever. In the second one, do you know the part where she was to escape from the brig? She has to convince the, the computer to assist her mm-hmm. and she jumps through open 
open space and her face starts to freeze and, and get all scarred up. And then in the next scene, you see her, she's all healed like two minutes later. I'll have to watch that sequence. I, I do remember her getting like the, the cold <laughs> yeah. sort of frost. I don't remember if she scars though. So maybe it's interpreted to be like, you know, all right, she already had to convince the computer like, hey, you know, if you do this certain sequence of events, um, well, one, you'll have to do it because ethical protocols require that, hey, since I'm going to die, sure. since, yeah. you know, the big chunk of the ship has been blown off and the only thing keeping me alive is the force field keeping in the environment for me. If they can shoot her across into this other uh, doorway, she'll survive. I mean, it probably won't be fun, but she will survive the, the trip. So I, I assume we're intended to be like, all right, you know, it probably was like the worst sort of freezing you would ever feel. Like, you know, you're at the, the research station and in Antarctica and you walk out for five seconds and you come back, um, you know, without any of the gear. It probably is like that where, all right, uh, you're going to have to warm up at some point and, and get rid of the frost and, and come back to life. I, I think they kind of skipped over that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch that part again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a weird sort of setup because I mentioned that these are, these first two episodes, they kind of feel like a prologue because this is the sort of stuff that would normally be the backstory for a character. Right. And you wouldn't hear about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. would hear like, oh yeah, this is, this is the premise for this person's character, but we wouldn't actually see what happened. And I, I reached back to um, at least the two sort of characters that, that fit the closest in you know what jumped out immediately at me. Um, one from Star Trek The Next Generation, that would be Ensign Roe Laren, who was uh, involved in an incident, uh, kicked out of Starfleet, imprisoned, and then brought back on um, right. for a in special mission, war, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, same thing with Voyager, where Tom Paris was actually in prison, and we see Captain Janeway going and picking him up again for a special mission. And it kind of feels like that's going to be the setup here, where, um, funny enough, even though this is called Star Trek Discovery, we never actually get to see the Discovery or its crew in the actual show itself. Like, we see the title sequence, we see the Discovery, you know, as an animated drawing. We don't see the Discovery within the context of this show, which is a little unusual, right? Like, we saw the Star Trek right, Enterprises, yeah. we saw yeah. Deep Space Nine, we saw the Voyager. Um, yeah. And so this is kind of, I think, intended to be the, the prologue part that shows us, like, alright, that's who Michael Burnham is, and that's where we're going to start the show with episode sure. three, where introducing the situation that causes her to go from, you know, criminal to, hey, this captain is bringing this person special in for special forces. regions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. With Jason Isaacs, the guy who can't remember, can never remember his name, Jason Isaacs. Right. Um, who played uh, Lucas, Lucas Malfoy and uh, like that. So anyway, so an after track. So it was interesting. After track was, takes place, I guess, somewhere in, in LA or something like that. And they had James Frain, who played Sarek, and they had the showrunner, which I've forgotten his name, on the show. And they were talking about this. And, and he, he says, he kind of like spoiled it for us that we are going to see discovery in the uh, in the th third episode because uh, that was one the one comment that the host made was that they they didn't show discovery at all like you know the show's called discovery and like you just said we didn't see discovery at all but they then they showed a preview of of um, uh, Michael Burnham meeting some of the crew on the new discovery on the discovery she's going to go to um, but interesting as well as an after track and I guess this is sort of the uh, some of, some of the um, fact checking I can do myself now that I know the facts. Uh, on the show, they also had the crew of um, of the show, like.
like the the filming crew of the show on this on the set for this uh, talking track as well or after track mm-hmm. because they had um, they, uh, they but they were in the film in the space TV studio that we that you saw inner space on a couple of weeks ago right um, they were actually there in Toronto live for this for this uh, filming so you mm-hmm. know um, Sneaker Martin Green and a bunch of other actors the actors who were on the deck with her on the bridge with her were also there as well um, as they watched the show and um, so that was interesting so that the fact so I, and I, I had mentioned that you know I thought that they were here for Fan Expo but they've, they've been here all along because I mean they're filming currently filming episodes in Toronto as we speak right so they're probably filming right now so that was interesting so so did, did you I want to just before let's go uh, can we move on from Star Trek for uh, the rest of the show we've got a few more minutes left sure so quickly though so have you not seen about a girl episode on uh, the Orville actually you I have on- so oh. <laughs> um, you put it under your want to see it. yeah oh, yeah because oh, you it, thought it was gonna be on Sunday right I, I got all confused on the dates because they moved the Orville from Sundays <laughs> after football to Thursdays so we got yeah to, to their credit they gave us an extra episode essentially in, in the same week yeah you know, early, Sunday to yeah. Thursday rather than making us wait an entire week and a half to go to the following Thursday right right yeah um, and actually I had mentioned that the I think you and I were talking on slack that that uh, putting putting it on Thursday kind of puts it in jeopardy because Thursday night was when Big Bang Theory was on, but Big Bang Theory in, in for us now is on Monday. I don't know about you because they just had the season premiere yesterday on uh, today's Wednesday, but I guess on Monday they had the season premiere of Big Bang Theory again just recently. So did you see that yet? I, I haven't, and it will be. Well, I guess I'll use my CBS All Access to go watch it now. I don't have, I don't have the oh, DVR. Oh. I'm paying the $6 a month. I might as well go check that out. Um, I, I don't actually know when a lot of these shows come out because I generally don't watch live. Like a lot of stuff. I, oh, really? Yeah. You know, oh. I, I watch when I want to watch time time shifted. Um, right, right. Through streaming or maybe binging. Uh, that's not possible mm. in the case of uh, either the Orville, uh, which is doing normal broadcasting. It, it, it is streaming on, on the Fox uh, channels, um, you know, for like Apple TV and Roku and Amazon. So so you don't have cable at all, or you just wa- are you watching? No, I I do, the- and but oh, for sports, right? Yeah, 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 yeah I, I do, but I I tend to prefer the streaming because I can just pause, go back, um, I can watch whenever I want without having to remember to set the DVR to do stuff. Uh, it's kind of just there when I find it. Uh, in any case, the right. episode three about a girl is uh, for the Orville is something that I think, gosh, if it doesn't win an Emmy, it should be at least nominated for an Emmy, an Emmy, because it really hmm. it really has a, a morality play that reaches the you know some of the peaks that you might see for something like Star Trek The Next Generation where, you know, there's there's cultural differences and you're really not sure what the right answer is. Um, I don't think it's too spoilerific to say that... Uh, um, don't say the ending. Yeah, I'm not going to say the ending, but, uh, you know, the Mr. Worf character equivalent, uh, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. And Mr. Bordas, uh, he and his uh, husband, because it's a, the Mocklins are a, a single a single sex species, uh, every one of them are all considered male, except it turns out that their, um, their egg has hatched and they have a girl. And the premise is, well, this is a problem. Uh, we need to have gender reassignment surgery to change this girl into a male. Right, and right. and it, it plays through very similar to like a, a TNG episode, um, but with, you know, the Orville twist of, uh, of having drama and uh, a little bit of weirdo comedy. But I think it was handled really, really well, surprisingly well for, you know, when we began a few weeks ago, we thought, oh, I, I thought Orville was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, Peter Griffin, comedy. family guy in space. And it's not. It's really right. more <laughs> like a TNG 
uh, spiritual follow-up. So I recommend people check check that out. If you weren't convinced by the first two episodes, I'd say at least watch that third episode and, and see what you think. Yeah, but again, there's some some odd so odd behavior from the from the captain because you know at one point he just says to them shut the shut the hell up or whatever or something like that in in very much a Peter Griffin kind of way, but not the kind of thing I would expect a quote unquote start or union uh, captain to say. You know, it would be you know Picard would never say anything like that. Kirk would never say anything like that, right? Unless he was possessed by some strange person, right? Though. So. Yeah, I think I would go back to what I, I'd said uh, either an episode or, or two ago that sure. the Orville is is TNG, the Next Generation, mm-hmm. but if it was blue collar workers, so rather than, <laughs> you know rather than uh, you know six figure you know office workers, these are uh, you know physical laborers of some sort, like construction workers, sort of thing, right? Like they they come in with their their um, their hard hat and their lunch pail. They're not you know having you know bourgeois sort of you know, tapas and, and fusion and avocado toast like no these people are meat and potatoes peanut butter and jelly sandwich sort of thing and it's kind of a job for them right it's not a, a great calling in, in a federation that has no you know no need for hunger or anything everybody's out as being explorers it's a bunch of crew that a lot of them shouldn't even have the job right they got it because of uh essentially friend friendliness and nepotism um it's kind of a like a bad news bears style of of, of right, group yeah. of people put together on this ship um and it makes more sense in that context you're right it, it's not exactly uh tng um but it feels like more of the spiritual successor than i would say discovery does where discovery feels more like it follows the the same beats and direction and tempo and tone of uh star trek 2009 and the jj abram films right yeah all right so you got here some you posted here something about uh the honest trailers or any tell us about that yeah my my other pick so after you go and you have all the feels and all the difficult morality play uh through uh, as a chaser to have something a little bit more uplifting the folks who do honest trailers which are uh, real funny uh insightful looks uh, making fun but in a in an honorable and cherishable sort of way they, they make fun of different movies and tv series and video games and stuff since this week um as we mentioned was the 30th anniversary of the premiere of star trek the next generation they went ahead and did uh, an honest trailers it's about eight minutes of recap of all the craziness that made up star trek the next generation you know some things that will be like oh wow that was so cool and other things would be like yeah that was kind of dumb <laughs> when did that episode mm-hmm. happen <laughs> that was a bad you know that was a bad idea i can't believe they actually did that so it's, it's worth it's worth to see it's quite uh, it's quite humorous uh, especially if you were into tng so my pick is i discovered uh i think it was on facebook or something i can't remember where i was but uh, i discovered that you can get dis- i should say stop saying discovery you can get star trek discovery lapel pins and i guess almost like com combat just like the full size ones so i ordered a couple myself but uh, and the prices are pretty cheap. It'd be interesting to see what what they're like in in uh, the U.S. because where they get us Canadians is with the shipping charges, right? Where are they? Where are oh. they from? Uh, where's the shipping well, out of Los Angeles? Oh, great! Yeah, you, you're totally. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for you, Tim. You probably will get hosed on the. On yeah, the I got shipping hosed like thirty dollars on part. shipping or whatever. So I was going to order a bunch of them, but but I noticed that some of the other ones that they have, like the other Star Trek series and Star Wars, they have some Star Wars paraphernalia as well. So what it is, if you want to get a combat a proper metal com badge you know with magnetic clasps or 
or even just a, a lapel pin with the you know little little thing on the back. I mean, four ninety five is a pretty good price, right? So I'd be interested to see how I mean, if you can put your address and see what the shipping charge would be for you because they're using USPS, which for us is always a pain in the butt. You get charged extra for that. Yeah, I think I might buy one of these. Um, probably the lapel pin because I've kind of gotten into that. Uh, it seems to be a trend with at least tech conferences. Uh, certainly, you and I uh, completely different mm-hmm. topic than here, but we we gave a talk at an iOS conference called 360 iDev, and that had lapel pins, uh, enamel pins, uh, which seemed to follow on from what happened at the Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple, where they gave out a whole mm-hmm. bunch of really nifty oh, really? pins. Yeah. They were kind of a collectible thing. So I think I might pick up the, um, what are they calling it here? The Star Trek Discovery badge lapel pin. So the like the same yeah, kind of that, badge that they had. Four bucks on or sh- five bucks ship. is pretty cheap, right? So yeah. I'm okay. curious, what does it cost to ship to, to Seattle from uh, LA? Because this is where, this is where these, these people make money, by the way, is on the shipping charges, in my opinion. Add to cart... <laughs> Check out. Do, do, do. You know, it doesn't even mention. Oh, wait, let me put in an address one sec. Let me see here. Oh, it requires more info. One sec. Okay, entering info. Fetching available shipping rates. These are insane. Okay, so the cheapest I could possibly get it is by USPS Priority Mail. So that's U.S. Postal Service for seven dollars and forty cents shipping. Well, for me it was thirty-five dollars. So don't don't laugh, right? <laughs> At thirty-five dollars, I could have it FedEx standard overnight uh, in yeah. one business day. Yeah. Wow. That's uh. Yeah. That's uh. That's amazing. I I don't know what to tell you, Tim. I mean, if you want it sooner, maybe. We- <laughs> Uh, it might no, actually I mean, be cheaper. I, to I, like, have no, I have no choice. I mean, the, the cheapest shipping I can use is $35. It goes up from there. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's USPS. And the best part about that is when, when the mailman comes to deliver it to my door, they might charge me duty on it as well. That's, we, that's we, the, we can go uh, off show perhaps, but I, I think I have a couple of things we could do that might yeah. make more sense. Uh, yeah. Distributing like, things within our, our US friends and then yeah, distributing yeah, yeah. to other folks, given that we have other stuff that we want to send each other. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, I do this probably I do the same thing with I do the same thing with uh, with other things that I buy, right? So yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's funny. My shopping cart still shows that I have stuff in it. I don't know why. I, I know I ordered it, and it's, it's supposedly on its way. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, we'll have to wrap it up for this week, um, and maybe we'll do some after show after the other show after show. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, as opposed to the Orville, where I was sort of a little unsure, and I, I give my normal caveats that I try to give, you know, yeah. two episodes. Uh, you know, I just throw those away and say, all right, whatever, good or bad. Um, it's the third episode and beyond that I start really you know, judging a show. And the Orville, I felt like, wow, they really nailed it with that third episode because I was a little unsure for the first two. Uh, I'm going to really? continue okay. to watch the Orville. I feel like Star Trek Discovery nailed it for me in the first two episodes, and I definitely yeah. want to continue watching. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, there's only 10 episodes to watch. It's not like you're investing a whole lot in it, right? <laughs> sure. But I am throwing down uh, $5.99 uh, per month for the pleasure of watching Star That's Trek Discovery true. with ads. So that it's well, a little I'm bit paying. different than if it was coming through netflix like that it is going uh, internationally yeah well, yeah but i'm well i'm not watching it on netflix i'm watching it on space i didn't know if it was on netflix i should check right hmm. yeah here's something to, to, to get fact checked i'm fairly certain i saw some sort of material that said that uh, it costs roughly eight million dollars per episode right. for yeah, yeah. Uh, cbs to produce this and to their great fortune netflix is paying six million dollars per episode to cbs for the broadcast rights or the distribution rights internationally mm-hmm. so we'll end up seeing what ends up happening with this uh, this grand experiment sure all right well let's wrap it up for now um we'll talk to you guys next week so hey hi if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs how will they do that the best way is on twitter i am at dev with the hair all right and as i said before i am timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine and uh we'll talk to you guys next week bye goodbye and see you.
you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spockcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Blade Runner, which I guess this comes out this Friday. Is that why you have tickets? Uh, it's next Thursday. So yeah, and we bought them. We bought them well in advance. So okay, cool. If, like you know, so by Saturday, if people start buying them on Saturday, they'll probably still be. We're going on Thursday night, the night before it officially opens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they do that here. You probably do it there where you guys are too. Like, so this they, is like they, they, Thursday at midnight or something. Yeah, it's like well, they're actually showing like a seven and a nine o'clock kind of show, and then uh, they used to just do like the midnight one. Yeah, but now they now they just they slide it back. I think they figured they can make more money right if they just let us see it earlier. Right, yeah. All the diehards go well, yeah. opening uh, opening ticket sales where for the weekend. Which if you start the weekend on like Monday yeah. <laughs> and go yeah. into the next yeah. Sunday, yeah, <laughs> it does better that yeah. way. I've, I, yeah, I know their make, tricks. Make the, yeah, you can make more money. So lots of lots of large popcorn too, right? Mm-hmm. All right, which is a famous famous analogy of mine. All right, so I, I, you ever watch that? There's a show called uh, Brain Games. I think it's called on National Geographic, and they the, they told the story about the large popcorn, which is where I get that analogy about how it, it tricks your brain into you know, irrationally buying the large popcorn every time, you know, so. I've not seen what you're talking about, but I am familiar with the the example and it, it does affect my uh, my choices when I go there. Like I tend yeah. to choose the medium because yeah. that's about the right amount where I get oh, really? most of it by myself and a little bit, you know, right. with uh, somebody else. Helping. Yeah, but it's only 50 cents more for the large, right? That's the rash. That's, that's how they get you. So mm-hmm. if you look at where they price the small bag of popcorn, it's usually like, let's say it's like $2 or $3 for the small popcorn and they'll make it like uh, $5 for the large popcorn and they'll make the medium one. They won't make the medium one the median between the large and the small. They'll make the medium one just slightly cheaper than the large one, right? Yeah. So the rationale is, so they'll make it four fifty, and you'll you'll look at it and go, well, it's only $5 for the large. Let's get the large, right? Yeah. That, that works That works 60% of the time with people. Yeah, for me, I've I've gone with, all right, every time I've gotten the large, it's, it's tricky because I might end up consuming too much of it. Like, unless it's a meal replacement, like, oh, we didn't have have time to go to the go to dinner before the yeah. movie so this is kind of my meal um well it's a healthy snack but it's not a nutritional meal <laughs> it still you know? fills your belly though so you can make it through the movie um oh, and yeah, the large yeah. ends up being just a little bit too much for for just me um but they, they throw small. so much salt on there that you have to get the big gulp drink too right to quench your thirst to hydrate a little That's, bit so you don't get yeah you don't yeah. get desiccated by <laughs> all the amount of salt they have in there the salt yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. exactly yeah and then they have those you know big giant rubber hot dogs and uh do they have the nacho chips with the really bad cheese that you can get yeah this is, have that is in your theaters yeah. yeah i know what you're talking about where it's like a bag of tostitos probably
effectively the Tostitos rounds. And they're not even Tostito quality. They're like lower. Yeah. yeah. And then the like Velveeta in a cup, that, like a like a yogurt <laughs> cup. I, I really dislike those. And I definitely appreciate Velveeta. when they have the, you know, we bring out the, the chips and we put them in like in a little, I don't know, like a, like a paper bowl. And then we pour right. over the melted cheese. And even if it's oh, like Velveeta like there, at least it's melted cheese, not slightly warm cheese yogurt. So cup. Velveeta is that sort of lava, lava like cheese stuff that they that's the Velveeta like I, you know what cheese whiz is do you have cheese whiz down there yeah we have that brand it's I don't know the similarities between them and the thing I'm thinking of is like it comes in these big cans it's probably not Velveeta because it's not Velveeta brand um, right yeah but it's like these big cans and like you see them at Costco or Sam's Club like any of the wholesalers right and yep. I remember the emblem is some sort of like a like a liquid drop you know like it's like a melted cheese drop kind of emblem or character or something well, I'll see if I can find it but it's like but it's like that consistency of like it's it's sort of cheesy liquidy cheese like if you, if you tipped it it would pour out and it probably never solidifies is that, is that the kind of cheese you get there it uh it doesn't become full I mean solid, it would no. I it, mean it kind of like yeah, crusts yeah. over and it's more like dry <laughs> right. ketchup than anything you know it doesn't become yeah, fully yeah. solid it's, it probably contains no cheese whatsoever it's like cheese right. products or flavor or something yeah <laughs> yeah and they charge you like seven dollars for this experience you know mm-hmm. and you're happy to pay it <laughs> yeah that's why you need to always get the jalapenos because at least you got a little bit of like fruits and vegetables in there don't you mean jalapenos <laughs> jalapenos right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no it's funny when we go to the to the uh, i always try to eat healthy when i go to the theater and like i'll get like the the buffalo chicken wrap which you know is like you know day old lettuce and uh soggy tomatoes with you know buffalo just just a fried chicken deep fried chicken in a wrap right so mm-hmm. it's way more healthier than than the other stuff but i, I usually i usually default to the, the r- big rubber hot dog thing you know with the squish of one squish of ketchup and some relish and mustard and you know and jonathan always gets the popcorn jonathan our fact checker always gets the popcorn and uh he usually gets the large and then i usually scam you know, a couple of handfuls off him halfway through the movie so <laughs> save big money at menards let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from ad force it's easy to install durable against the elements and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through may 5th and check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on menards.com save big money 